In today's episode, I talk with Steph about connecting with God in dark places, learning that her identity isn't just in what she can do, the surprising scope of God's grace, and the joys and struggles of parenting. This is Through a Glass Darkly, the podcast about following Jesus while living with a mental illness. As you'll hear in the interview, I first met Steph seven years ago when I took over her role at Light Patrol, the program I still work for that reaches out to homeless youth in Toronto. This role, which I'd been hired to do, she had been doing voluntarily, which will come as no surprise to anyone who knows her or listens to this episode. Since then, she has gone on to launch her own photography business, and she actually came and took beautiful pictures of my twin boys after they were born. If anyone is interested, you can see some of her amazing work at ironbrag.com, and that's brag with two G's. She has also been quite open about living with a mental illness. On Facebook, she has shared posts about her own experiences with depression, posts that are marked by compassion, honesty, and vulnerability, and which normalize mental illness and encourage others with similar experiences that they are not alone. Often, she has opened up about how her mental health intersects with her parenting, which is not something I have seen many people do. So, I asked Steph to come on the podcast to talk about her experiences, and was not surprised that the same compassion, honesty, and vulnerability came out in our conversation, which I'm excited to share with you. But before we get to that, two final things. First, a shameless plug. Steph's husband, Andrew, started a podcast called Jesus and Everybody, which is great and was some of the inspiration behind me starting this one. Everyone should check it out. And Andrew, if you're listening, you need to do more episodes. No pressure. Second, this conversation does contain some brief references to suicidal thoughts. And now, my conversation with Steph. Steph, thanks so much for joining me tonight. I assume the kids are in bed. They are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I guess Andrew is just lying with them right now. So okay. <laughs> hopefully they're in bed. But <laughs> Amanda and I, we can't talk about sleep when it's happening. So we don't even say they're like asleep. We just say they're in their room. And because if you say it, you jinx it and then they'll get up. So yes. Yes, yeah. it is a sensitive topic around this household as well. So yeah, <laughs> we understand. And I mean, we don't even have twins. We have we have two, but they're not twins. So it's probably a bit less intense than what you experience. But it's definitely a sensitive topic. That's for sure. We just switched to um, to big boy beds, as we call them. Uh, last wow, week. That's a yeah. big moment. It is. They uh, they were really exploring the space. What's yeah. their what are their ages again? They're three. Like, they're three now. Okay. Three's a three's a difficult age, but it's it's a fun age too. Three teenagers. That's what I yeah. always called it. <laughs> For real. Two is not two's not where the problem is. It's three. No, you know what? I found it the hardest at around 18 months. I found really hard because they were just getting into that stage where they're like wanting to become toddlers, but they're still really very much. Like, for example, Gordy was jumping out of his bed or climbing out of his bed. Yes, jumping would be the correct word, too, because he's a wild kid. But Mm -hmm. he like but he's still a baby. So it's not like you can trust him. Like at one point we had two, two, Kate, like, sorry, not cages, but um, what is it called? The uh, things that go on your doors to prevent them from coming out. Oh, yeah. The baby gates. Baby gates. We had them stacked on top of each other. Because yeah. we were so worried that if he got out, he would escape and run onto the street. Or So that's the age that I found hard. And then three was once they started to really, they start to really get their own opinions. I mean, that was just the case with my kids, but oh, yeah, no, we definitely boys, found. Our boys have some thoughts that they are <laughs> yes. more than happy to share. So. Yes. <laughs> so switching kind of to your own childhood, what was that like growing up? Where What role did faith play? Um, in your family's life, if at all? Yeah, so I grew up in, um, I mean, I would call it, I don't know what an actual typical Christian home is, but like a typical Canadian white middle-class home where we went to church every week. I was um, the third of, I was the third of four kids so there were four of us siblings and my two sisters who are above me were a bit older 
than me and my brother so there was a bit of like there was like two parts of the family like my two sisters and then my brother and I who were um, about five years younger than my sister but we grew up and we went to church every week we were involved in church I saw my parents being actively involved in church ministry and saw my parents reading the bible saw them actively living it out and also just experienced a lot of Christian community growing up too in terms of like my my dad was part of a is well he still is but he's part of a quartet that is like they've they've been together I think for probably around 35 years now like maybe I'm wrong I'm sorry mom and dad if I'm wrong about that but they've been around forever like since before I was born yeah so it would be around 35 years and they are they do like gospel southern gospel type stuff so grew up going to all their concerts with all of my friends in that like group of community like christian community there they were basically like cousins to me so i grew up around a lot of christian influence and i would say too my experience of christianity was just a very it was very specific in that my two older sisters were extremely, extremely involved in their youth group. And we were off in the house that everyone would come to, but I was still quite young. So I had this experience of looking to people who were Christians as kind of like, oh, they're so cool. Like I always, I always thought it was a cool thing to be a Christian, you know? So, um, because I would just sort of observe that from their experience. And so, yeah, I would say that overall, my experience of the church was very positive. I, it, was a, it was a Baptist church, so fairly conservative in terms of theology and belief systems. So, but, but yeah, overall, just pretty, I would say, quote unquote, typical white middle-class socio, socioeconomic um, experience of the church for sure. Right. So when you grow up in that kind of environment where it's almost like you're a fish and that's just the water you swim in, right? Like it's, it's all encompassing and it, it just seems normal. Can you point to a time where you kind of separated and it became less about, you know, I grew up in this and this is just my world to, okay, this makes sense for me. Yeah. I would say that, um, I started working at a camp called Muskoka Woods and that was, I started working there pretty early on when I was about, I think I started when I was 15 for the summers and that just gradually sort of like, I wouldn't say that there was a specific moment necessarily, but I definitely would say that that was when I learned about my own individual experience with faith and what it meant to me and a different version even too of who God, who God is. It was just, it just felt new and exciting. And there were people my age and friends. And those are where I really, that's where I really like met my, my lifelong best, best friends too. So I would say that. And then when I was younger, I was very involved in hockey. Like I played, I played competitive hockey all growing up and I wouldn't say that I was like going to be playing for team Canada one day, but I was like in that level playing with people who were, who are on the team right now kind of thing. But I was like middle, middle of the (laughs) middle of the range um, in terms of playing. So, and that was like totally my identity growing up in high school in particular and before then for sure. But I don't remember why I had this, yearning or this total change of heart but I made this really quick decision at one point where I think it was it was right after I was done grade 12 and I made a really quick decision where I was like I'm not going to play hockey anymore like I actually even had made a team I called the coach and was like I'm not going to play anymore and I decided to go and do because it was right after grade 12 and I wanted to do a year of something different because I really felt like this is my identity but it's not long term you know like it's not like Mm -hmm. a long term thing like I'm the girl who plays sports but like where is that really gonna get me and I did have this feeling like like faith was very important to me and so I told the coach I wasn't gonna play and then I worked my butt off and uh, decided to go to YWAM 
And in, I mean, I went to YWAM in Maui, so that wasn't a very hard decision. Listen, the Lord um, calls us to, to different places. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that, I would say that that for sure was for sure the most important, the most independent in faith that I've ever been in terms of, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fly across the world and I don't know anybody. I'm going to trust that God is going to take care of me and just go on this adventure and sort of establish a new identity in myself. And so that, that for sure would, would have been like a big crossroads for me of choosing to stop doing something that I loved so much and to go in this whole other direction. And that was a year long program with YWAM? It was six months, six months. Yeah. Yeah. So there was three months in Maui and then a a three month trip to Nepal that we did as well. And then, yeah. And then honestly, my life was kind of forever changed at that point. For those six months, when you reflect back on it, what would you say is kind of the most impactful change that, you know, happened as a result of that, that God did in you, that you can see then carried out, you know, for the rest of your life till now? Well, I guess as it relates to mental health, I think that I can definitely be, I'm discovering about myself more recently. And as I reflect back, I can for sure be an obsessive personality, if that makes sense, like, or an, Mm -hmm. not addictive personality, but I would ascribe those traits to, to me in some ways where once I get something on my mind, I go full force with it. And so when I was there, I for sure changed from, okay, I'm this person and now I'm going to be this. Now I'm going to put all of my heart and soul into my faith and everything like that. But what was interesting was that once I got there, it was a completely different kind of Christian community than I had ever experienced. And I actually, like I got there and it was like this very charismatic, very different version of Christianity than I had ever experienced. And I was sort of forced to figure out, okay, what do I believe about this? And it was actually really good for me in that way, because I wasn't really able to coast at all when I was there. I had to sort of like, I had people telling me I wasn't a Christian because I didn't speak in tongues and, you know, they didn't really believe that it wasn't, it wasn't overly like that, but there were just a few people and it was just a lot of that kind of stuff that I'd never experienced before. And so what I loved about it was I, I did have the opportunity to really, really go full force into figuring out what I believed about that stuff. And I would say that it enriched my faith for sure. Once I landed and I mean, yeah, it's obviously an evolving, (laughs) evolving belief in in that kind of stuff too but I it was it for sure just added a whole other layer of like wow this is really cool that I've lived my whole life not knowing this part about who God is but now I've gotten to experience it and now this is making me into who I am in God too if that if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you've uh you've mentioned identity a few times um and looking back at this point as being a really clear shift between you know, this one identity and the other one, what would you say were some of the key markers of that kind of new identity that you moved into? I think someone who is interested in justice in doing, (laughs) um, like I, I sort of turned all my energy from that part of my life to let's change the world for God. Let's, you know, be present in the lives of people who are hurting it, it it definitely shifted into that, that kind of focus more so. And yeah, I'm just trying to think, I think that that would be probably the main thing where it sort it, it shifted my faith from like, I wouldn't even say second priority, but like it changed it to like, definitely first, first priority to where I just went. Yeah. Like I said, I went sort of full force in that direction and wanted to learn and soak in everything I could about those topics and figure out every part of theology I could. And (laughs) Hmm. um, yeah, for sure. That would be the direction that it took. Which is not surprising to me. The first time I met you, it was because I was hired 
by Light Patrol, which for people listening that don't know, is a ministry that works with youth living on the streets in Toronto. So I met you because you were basically doing my job, but volunteer. Were there other things that you were involved with as well that were kind of an outflow of that? Yeah, I would say that that's the main one that w- yeah. I, I that was another thing that I just went full force into. And I'm sure we'll get into it. But this this idea that I have of going sort of like full force into something is one thing that reflecting back on mental health has been a huge humbling, you know, hum- humbling experience for me. I am just curious and like, what did Light Patrol teach you about God and about faith? What, what ways did it shape it? I grew up in this version of Christianity. I think this existed a lot more back then, but it, it was, it, I, I'm not even going to say it was bad necessarily, but it was very like suburban, not super diverse Baptist, you know, like it, right. they're, they're, I, I truly am thankful for all. Um, I never have had like a negative, negative church experience. And I know many people have, so I can't even speak ill necessarily of my experience. But I think for me personally, the reason why I connected so much with connecting faith with a very practical justice piece, it was, I honestly, I can, I will say, I, I, I see God most in brokenness like that's sort of where I experienced God the most and I think it just kind of blew open this idea of who I thought who I always knew God to be or thought God to be because I always had God in this box of you live this way you look this way you you act this way you do these things all in the right order. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one of the things that just amazed me specifically with light patrol, I'm I'm sure you've experienced this, but just this concept of meeting people who meet none of that criteria, you know, like who are struggling with this, that, and the other, and who have, you know, obviously all these things that like trauma that they've experienced in, in their life. And one honestly, one of the things I remember specifically, there was one guy who always, always came to the van. And I won't say his name, but you probably would know exactly who he is. And and I remember one time talking to Andrew and being like, I just had a realization that we cannot expect everyone to just look like us. That is not what God wants from us. Like that's and I think I just learned so much of what it couldn't look like to have a relationship with God and to experience God in such different ways than just to do this like cut cookie cutter version of who he wanted us to be. And I think I just, for me, my whole life, I've always felt like if God can't be in the margins or in the brokenness or can't, if people in other diverse lives can't experience who God is, then it makes no sense. Right. And so I think, I think it's just that, that, that idea of sharing with people and sharing in their lives on a fairly regular basis and learning that, oh, this person actually knows God just as well as I do. And that is such a beautiful thing. And if God can connect with this person, then that's like the most incredible thing ever. And I think it just blew open my idea of like, who God is, I guess just that like very typical saying of it blew the box open of, of, um, and in some ways it can, it it has confused me too, because it, it's not that it's, it's just a very like messy, obvious, it's a messier way of understanding who God is because you can have people who like, for example, one of our, the the guys who, who we feel felt closest with, he had like severe schizophrenia for sure and uh, like was constantly he he would be drunk all the time running around on the streets and stuff and we would we would look up we'd be walking down the street we'd look up and he's like on the top of the scaffolding on the top of the (laughs) on the top of the buildings and and we'd be like oh my gosh like hopefully he's gonna be okay but then you'd sit down with him and you'd have these such incredibly beautiful moments with him where you're just like oh my goodness like this person has had so much hurt, but still God speaks through them, you know, and still God is so present in their lives. And yeah, I'm not sure if I'm explaining it properly, but I just, it just totally 
I think it just gave me hope that, okay, it's not just in my life, you know, it's not just in my very like (laughs) typical Canadian life that God is present. He is present in like in anyone's life, you know? And I think that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing for me to learn. That is, that is beautiful. I mean, I, yeah, I think I've had some of those similar experiences and, and thought through some of that as well. I feel like there's a time and it might still be going on where I almost didn't know. I almost didn't know how to pray for the people that we were meeting because I felt like the only thing I knew how to ask for was my own very narrow understanding of what I thought God could do. And it often just ended up looking like, you know, the things that I had grown up with of what I had been taught of what a Christian should look like. And then then it was like, okay, I have to learn how to pray for things that are just like completely out of my experience, you know, and like being open to trusting that God could still be at work when it looks absolutely nothing like what I thought it would. And it's hard. It's confusing, right? Like you think, yeah, all sorts of things, like everything from, am I losing my faith? Like, is this just, you know, heresy to, yeah. Like, well, what does that mean about how I understand my own faith and what I think God is asking of me? So it takes that checklist and literally just obliterates it. It's like, okay, that's not what we're working with anymore. And that's probably how God sees it too. I think a lot of times in the church, what you can look at is there are, there's behaviors and what we think point toward towards, oh, this person has it all right with God, or this person is on the right track with God. But I, I, I think one thing that I very much learned at my time with Light Patrol is that, that as the church, we need to look at those things so differently. So just say someone comes in and has an addiction, we often will just see that addiction and want to treat that, you know, and not, and just think like that, if that person has an addiction, then that means that they can't be close with who God is. But I think that God has this crazy, I don't know, maybe I'm so wrong, but I feel like God has a really amazing understanding of our lives on, on earth here and can understand has a crazy amount of grace for some of the suffering and and traumas that we go through in life and where it leads us to and some of the weakness that weaknesses that it leads us to and I'm not saying that we would ever not want to help someone with an addiction but I just think that we can't just look at that person and think oh they are a weak person you know like or that that's the only thing that we need to to help with if they come to our church I feel like when when I look back when I was kind of growing up in the church it was so clear the markers that you were supposed to look at in somebody's life in order to be able to say like yes god is at work and i think denominations even have this right so you know you're talking about your ywam experience and very much that would have been you speak in tongues you do this and that's how i know that you are you know saved or right with god or however and then yeah like you said you go you know you go work with something like light patrol and they're talking about these things that are just so clearly God at work, but their lives are nothing like the things that I was brought up and taught. Like, these are the things that you need to do and look like in order for that to happen. It's like, no, all these things are happening with people who don't look anything like this. Yeah. And maybe, maybe they can't like, honestly, maybe they just can't. And so, yeah, like it would do a disservice almost to try and get them to check all the boxes that I think they need to check in order for me to somehow be okay with, you know, or believe that God could be at work in their life. So. Yeah, totally. What do you think was kind of the hardest thing about light patrol though, in terms of really challenging your understanding of God and that maybe you haven't even resolved to this day. This isn't even really related to the people on the streets that I, that we met more to do with, how I interacted with that experience, this concept of needing to do a lot, you know, to, to do for, for God Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to constantly be striving to help this person, help that person. There's a crisis here. There's a crisis there. And I think 
I and like because as much as Light Patrol was the most incredible, incredible experience for me, and I honestly attribute most of my like theological understanding to the struggle that I had there, mm-hmm. it also did burn me out. I learned a lot about how in the church we aren't necessarily taught to have great boundaries or to learn about ourselves and what our capacity is. So I had such a huge struggle because again, when it comes back to, to identity, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of time, a long time, I definitely have had a, I, I had an identity in doing like mm-hmm. in helping people and running all over the place with my head cut off, trying to be at every event and thing and, uh, Ray, the guy who like, you remember Ray, he, mm-hmm. uh, he could see that I was like very much burning out in that time. And he, he sat me down and he was like, Steph, who's going to die? <laughs> like, and I know that obviously like, it's a very serious type of work that we were doing, but mm-hmm. he was just like, you need to like settle down And like not treat everything as a crisis that you need to save. And I think there's something in, and again, I appreciate the way that I grew up, but there's something in the way that I grew up in the church that my, the combination of my personality and how the Bible was taught, it was very much like doing is your identity in God. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't even think that those words were probably uttered, but I think just the, the, the example of faith was always that, that like, the concept of God just loving us just for just without even doing anything is so foreign to me. <laughs> it's very difficult for me to understand. And so in that time of being so burnt out, it was, it, that was a very important thing that Ray said to me. And I'll never forget that because here's this guy who's kind of in charge of me <laughs> mm-hmm. saying like, Steph, <laughs> you're not that important in that time of my life. I was really, and still am struggling with that tension of okay what is my identity other than being able to do you know like do things to be involved in things to lead a program or you know and obviously I feel like I've come away from that like I've come a long way since then but it's still like a daily struggle for me for sure I think it's significant for for a lot of people not this specific experience, but this, I, this walking, this balance between who am I, you know, am I just the things that I do, or is there something even deeper than that? So that if I stop doing those things, I'd still be me and I'd still be loved. You know, what's interesting though, Matt, is that you and I are ministry involved, which is like a very, very much in that wheelhouse of feeling led to, to do that, to, to have that mindset more so, but a couple of about a year ago, I had I really was thinking about this a lot because I was struggling with it. Obviously, with COVID, being a parent, <laughs> it just holds you back so much mm-hmm. from like, I mean, that sounds terrible because I love my children so much. They are my world, but I was struggling with that concept. And I actually asked like a bunch of my really close friends, I said, Do you guys struggle with the concept of just being loved? Just for who you are, like not even, not even just, not even because of any action that you do. No, you know, nothing like that. And honestly, most people were saying no, like that, that's not a constant struggle for them. And I was pretty amazed by that. Cause that's probably my biggest, like, it's a very foreign concept to me. And I still just can't make sense of it quite a, like, I just have to rationalize in my head. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, it's not the case, but, um, it's interesting with me because I, I have this, like, like I have this idea in my head that that's how God loves me, but I also struggle because I, like I said, I have a, I do actually have a low capacity for, for doing like, I, I, I I am a processor. I have like, I'm an emotional person. I have to think through, I have to, I'm actually quite what's the word um, when you get your energy from being alone? Introvert. <laughs> yeah, I actually am quite introverted. And so it's just been this tension of, okay, this is what I would love to be in life. And this is what I think God wants me to be, but actually, okay, let's step back for a second because that actually isn't who I was made to be. 
And am I going to be okay with that? And is, do I really believe that God will still love me in that? And that is very difficult for me. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's a difficult tension and I don't know why I've struggled with that for so long, but yeah, for sure. One of my hardest struggles. I too have that struggle. And for me, it is largely, maybe not largely, it is at least somewhat connected to my mental health. Like I, I think mm-hmm. that there is actually a, a pretty strong connection between my struggle to really understand that or accept it and mental illness, right? So maybe this is a good time to shift gears then and talk a little bit about that part of your experience. When you reflect back on your life, was there a kind of a specific time in your life where you really noticed that you were struggling with your mental health? Or when you look back, do you think it was just kind of always there and you just became aware of it more at a certain time? It's helpful because I've always known that I was a melancholic person. So that's just sort of my baseline for, um, I can be a positive person, but I am more naturally pessimistic, I would say, and, and critical. And so all my life, I think I've struggled with that for sure. Just being thankful for this life. And, you know, that's not my natural bend at all, Mm. but I never had, I didn't have a lot of like intense episodes of it until I had that time. It was just after light patrol. It was, it really was. I remember just feeling like, wow, this is very different than what I've experienced before. It's way more intense. I can't do things that I ever really like that I would normally do that bring me joy. And definitely, I mean, trigger warning for sure but I definitely had like many moments of wanting to like jump off my balcony wanting to like like crying as I was driving somewhere for work and wanting to just like drive the car off the road like just thoughts of like it would be so much easier you know because Mm -hmm. I just can't and so like I def I have I've had a couple of episodes like that in my life um one was prior to having kids and then I think I, I had two, two before having kids and then one after my second little guy. And again, I think it was just, it's, I don't know if sometimes it's circumstantial where I'm, I already have that bend mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in terms of my, like my natural disposition in life and then circumstances where I've just overcommitted said yes to too many things do not give myself time to process and yeah like we were talking about before just do the things that I actually just need to do to keep myself sane um Mm -hmm. then it just it, it sort of plunges me in a downward spiral and so yeah I can think of three times in my life where that has been very intense I don't even know to be honest if I've been Diag, like I was thinking about this before. I don't even know if I've been diagnosed with depression. I just know I have definitely experienced very intense emotions, like very intense episodes like that. How long did those episodes typically last? Months, probably. And the first few times I was able to sort of scale back and deal with it as if it was like, circumstance like usually what happens is like I'm committing 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 and then I just have to literally just quit everything (laughs) right and you know I remember Andrew even like having to call at the time I was actually working for Youth Unlimited in another job and I I just remember a few times Andrew's actually like had to call and be like okay Steph needs (laughs) right Steph needs a break I remember one time a friend of mine she didn't and she didn't do this on, I don't know if she did this because she knew I was in such a state, but she lives in Germany and she flew over and spent the week with me. I don't think it was just specifically because of that. I'll have to ask her actually. I don't think she really knew the state that I was in, but it was just really good timing where I had really good time with a close, close best friend. And that almost reset me a little bit. And so I was lucky in those moments, but I don't know if I really got to the heart of it, (laughs) of why I think I just 
you know, obviously again, just scaled back, learned to sort of live with it again. And, but the thing is, is I have always lived with this feeling of, I don't want to, it's almost like high, 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 low, low, low. So in the high, high, high times, I will make a million plans (laughs) with friends. I will, um, and then in wake up the next day and it could be in a totally different state. And so this feeling of like on this, I'm on this roller coaster where I don't know how I'm going to wake up the next morning, (laughs) like what? And so that would bring me anxiety too, because I felt like, okay, how am I going to wake up tomorrow? Like I've got all these plans. Do I need to cancel them all? Right. And it wasn't always that extreme, but it wasn't until the, like, after I had my second Gordy, my, my little guy that I had, I mean, I think it was also severe postpartum, but it was when he was around four, no, around five-ish months old that I had another really, really, really intense episode. And it was, it was really bad. And I, Andrew and my mom (laughs) told me that I needed to call the doctor. And I went and saw the doctor and immediately just started bawling. And she prescribed me she first of all she was like I honestly say I always say that I think this doctor saved my life because she was just so I'm gonna cry just thinking about it because I was so I didn't want to talk to anyone like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the state that you get in when you're in a depressive state you're just like I wasn't answering my mom's phone calls I just didn't want to talk because there's no way that people that you can that other people really can understand what you're feeling it's not just a sad feeling it's like a cloud that is like over Mm -hmm. you that just covers everything that you're doing and so when I saw the doctor it was life-changing truly because at first she was like okay I'm going to prescribe you with some like healthy lifestyle things that you can do so see a friend let's let's choose a friend and let's see them once a week let's start exercising for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, five times a day. Like she made me a little list. And I think that that was a really good, good thing to do. But I did actually, I couldn't even do those things really like a few of them I could do, but I, I didn't, I couldn't like get myself. I wasn't even at that base level of being able to do that. And so she did eventually prescribe, prescribe me medication. And well, actually it was, it was, I was in there and I just felt so defeated and it was a, another doctor and she was like, why are you so like, why are you so hesitant? Cause I was so hesitant about medica- medication. And I think like a lot of people are obviously, and she just explained to it to me in very rational terms. And I started on it and like, it's been so helpful for me. The roller coaster was like a major, like behemoth ro- roller coaster before. And now it's like, the dragonfly, you right, know, yeah. at, it's thunder run at, at wonder. Yeah. Thunder run. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, I'm still, I still feel things very deeply. Like I think is something that God has given me, but it's not this unknown every single day of how is the next day going to be? How am I going to wake up the next day? <laughs> and right. so that's been so helpful for me. So since yeah. that really significant episode when Gordy was around five months and you got that both types of prescriptions haven't had a like a really severe episode since then I don't think so I've definitely had like days mm-hmm. where I feel more down um and maybe even like a week here and there but nothing near like nothing even close to that feeling at all right. and usually if I have that feeling I can struggle through it enough and do the things that I need to do to make sure I don't go down that path again, which yeah, is just a very helpful thing. Cause I can recognize it now. That's good. So, yeah. So this isn't necessarily just for those moments, but including those moments as well, what yeah. influence does it have on your faith? Like on the way that you practice it, let's say, or um, even your view of, of God, I'm not sure if it's specifically tied to those moments or to mental illness, but I, I definitely see God in the darkness, if that makes sense. Like, I think that I've I've experienced God in those times and I see that he, and, and I think that I just interact with, with 
because I'm on that level more regularly than other people, like, I'm not saying I'm the only person who's on, who's at that, who's like that. But um, I think that I definitely connect with God. Like I, when I think about like songs or artists or people that I, that I admire, it's often people who are interacting with God on a very real level in that way, in a very real and sort of raw level of those dark moments and struggles in life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that is for sure where I connect with God the most is in those, in those, in those communities too, that are, that I, I think I, I definitely struggle with connecting with God in more of those boxed places anymore. Like I think because I've just experienced whether it is through like people that I met at Light Patrol or my own experience with mental illness, I just, it's not that I don't have a tolerance for it, but I just, I just can't connect with God through like, like the perfect vision of who, of who a Christian is or who, what a church is. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for sure, I I have a, a desire to always find those places and communities. And I, I find, I just feel like that to me reflects who God is, at least in my life more so. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to pretend like the whole time that I've gone through these times, I've been perfectly in line with God. Like I, I don't, I think some people go through those experiences and it brings them closer to God. I don't, I can't necessarily say that that's the case. Like, it's not like, you know, I was studying, studying the Bible one day and that's when I became happy, (laughs) you know, like I, I don't know, sometimes it was literally just a real life thing that I mean, God is involved in real life. I know that too, but just, you know, it was just a very like human thing that helped me. But, and I've had many, I would say that I've had many, many moments in the wilderness when it comes to my faith, just struggling with theological questions. And I mean, I know that some people struggle with like hurt in the world and stuff, and that, that turns them away from God, but actually I, uh, it doesn't at all. Like I, I'm not going to say I like it, but I see, I see God in that more, you know, than mm-hmm. just this perfect world. For someone who struck for someone like you, who struggles with struggles with really just understanding how to be loved outside of what you can do. And then you have this mental illness that severely impacts your ability to do. How do you reconcile those things? Do those times cause a lot of shame or have they actually kind of forced you to get to the point where you're just like, I actually can't do this. So either God is what other people say he is, or I just got to stop believing this. Like, where has that landed for you? I wouldn't say that I've arrived in that area at all. I still very much struggle. It's a day to day, but you know what? And I don't know if people out there who listen to this are going to, is going to think that this is hokey, but I started learning about like it's another person. It's a. I, I'm sure you've heard many many times about Enneagram, <laughs> but I started. I've. It's just been. A, it's just been a very cool tool. And so, what's been helpful for me about it, that's been really life changing for me about it, is seeing that people are created very differently, and to be okay with who God has created me to be. So, for example, I'm fairly certain I'm a four, which is the very like the feeler the romantic the but like it's allowed me to see that yes actually in fact when it comes to like feeling thinking doing doing is usually like the last thing that takes place and so that means that I need a lot more room in my life to feel and to think and then to you know I need to create those spaces and that might mean that someone who is more doing focused is going to be a lot more efficient and going to be doing a lot more and a lot more cape, like has a lot more capacity. And that doesn't mean anything good about them or anything negative about me or anything good about me or anything negative about them. What I've just loved about it is that even because even for myself in my position, like Andrew, my husband is a, is a pastor. I almost said youth pastor, but he's not a youth pastor anymore. He's, he's a pastor at our church and being the pastor's wife, I just constantly feel this feeling of I'm not doing enough in like, I'm not part of enough. I'm not going out with someone for lunch every day, or, you know, there's just so much that I constantly feel guilty for, but those are all made up rules 
for who I should be. And I remember my mom specifically telling me like just before I was supposed to marry Andrew <laughs> because she he, like, obviously he was always in church ministry, but she was like, Steph, I just don't ever want, like, she was like, I'm so excited. You're going to be a pastor's wife, like pastor's wife, which right. is like just one part of my identity, obviously. But she was like, I just want you to remember, you don't have to be that version that you think people expect you to be like you can bring who you are to the table mm -hmm. and that's just as worthy or as valuable as being this person who I think I should be and that took me that has taken me a long time to come to terms with and I still struggle with it a lot but I'm I definitely again through understanding who I am it's not even like I think the Enneagram thing is like a perfect system but it has just helped me to understand okay like God has made me this way. Not that I can't like, it's not like I have to always stay this way, but, mm -hmm. but this is like naturally more who I am. And I've learned so much about myself that I'm much more okay with that. And then also know two things that I can do to give myself this, like to be a healthier version of myself too, and to not burn out <laughs> and not burn out as easily and create things in my life that will allow me to care for myself in the proper ways that they need to have. Do you consider your mental illness to be a part of just who you are? Like, is that a part that you're bringing to the table, you know, for good or ill? And there's as weird as it is to say, like, there are positive things that can come out of it and there are drawbacks to it. Or do you see that as something that is, yeah, almost like a, like an interposer or something like that? It's not a part of of who you are. And this is just kind of a burden that you, you bear. I think it depends on what state I'm in, <laughs> to be honest, like mm. in, in, in moments where I've had really difficult, again, that word episode, um, I definitely feel like it's a burden and like, what is my value here? I'm like, it just, everything about it makes you feel like you're a burden. But when I am in a good place, which I would say is more, more so and in a good place, I mean, like, I am a moody person still, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. it's just not those huge roller coaster dives and flip turns and, you know, all that. Right. Um, but I would say, honestly, like, I, I don't see it as a burden. I see it as that I am able to be very real with people and just empathize in a way with, with people in some, like, I, I don't always, again, the capacity thing, I don't have like mm -hmm. a massive capacity to take that on, but I, I can for sure, I think I connect with people in a different way because I have experienced those things for sure. Right. Yeah. And just to be clear to anybody who's listening to, cause we were talking about, you know, this is the way that you've been made, like the type four of the Enneagram. I'm not suggesting that you were made to be, you know, experienced depressive episodes, but more yes. in terms of have you incorporated that into your understanding of your own identity? Like I am a person who lives with a mental illness and there, like you said, like there's some good things that come from that. And there are some really not great, not great things that come from that. So just to clarify. So let's talk about parenting for a bit. Okay. I feel like parenting is probably an, and I don't even know like a, a woman's experience and a mother's experience. I can only speak from that. And I think it's even more so for, for moms, but like it, it really can be one of the most intensely shaming, guilt-laden thing that you can do, right? Like, yes. like there are so many beautiful moments about it, but man, like there are so many things that you can look at and be like, I need to be better here, or I feel so bad that I did that or reacted this way. Anybody yeah. who's listening that's a parent, well, I'm sure knows about that. Yeah. So how does mental illness impact that too? Like you have these ups and downs where, you know, you're, you're kind of feeling one way one day and then completely opposite the other day. And then you even have these significant periods of time where your capacity is just quite diminished from what you're, you're explaining. How do you process all that in terms of your understanding of your role as like a parent? Well, first of all, I'm very thankful for Andrew in particular. Like I, I'm very lucky in that I have a partner who does not hold that against me <laughs> and mm. is willing to put in just as much to parenting as as I put into it but yes that is definitely a struggle is the one day I would say that I I love structure like I love it and I 
yearn for it. I crave it, but I have the hardest time implementing it unless I'm very like, I have a good habit of it. Um, I've created a habit out of something. And so that's definitely a struggle because kids, you can't get into that grade of a structure or like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't be super structured. I mean, you can be structured with kids. And I, I definitely like, I, I know people who are really good at that, but I'm not necessarily good at that, especially when there are interruptions or things that happen in the day that make me more emotional. And I forget about the things, you know, that we were supposed to do and those all go out the door and changes. So I, I definitely experienced shame. Some, I was just telling um, my girlfriends this week, last weekend that I just feel like my oldest, my daughter, I sometimes just feel this crazy amount of guilt because I know that she's a kid who would benefit from a structured life, like having a parent who like says something and does it, you know, (laughs) and, you know, I just know that she would benefit from that. But so just coming to terms with like, that's not who God placed like I'm, I'm who God placed as her mom. So like, you know, obviously, and obviously just I'm not going to just not ever try to grow in that area. Like, obviously, if I know I have a kid who needs that, then right. then I, I want to establish that for her more so. And it's good for me, too. But yeah, I think that that's one of the hardest things, especially when the kids were younger, because I was I like my kids are both in school this year, starting this year. So there's it's a whole new stage of life mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt, you'll experience that eventually. But when I was at home with the kids, I was also working, but like working sort of like a a puzzle of like (laughs) working as much as I could whenever I could, but also caring for the kids and tag teaming with Andrew. And it just always was, it it was always like just chaotic, (laughs) um, just out of necessity, but I definitely experienced a lot of just waking up and being like, another day, (laughs) you know, another day of, of being a parent and doing those monotonous things in life, you know, like doing, Mm -hmm. you know, wiping their bums and like another load of laundry. Yes. The laundry. And those things don't bring me life. Like they do for some other people. Like I know people who genuinely like, like doing that. And I, I, I just, obviously I I know, I don't know many people who love doing laundry, but there are people who do like being, you know, stay at home parents or parents who care for their kids at all, like at all times who that brings them life. And like I said, my kids are like my greatest gift in life. I tell them that every day, (laughs) but I never, I never was the person who like grew up my whole, I was a tomboy. Like I grew up I never was like dreaming of having kids and who I would marry. And, you know, that was just not in my, like, in my line of my, in my line of sight. Is that the right way to say it? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say I didn't want it, but I never like, I just, it just wasn't like in my, I, yeah, I just never dreamt of it. And so when that came, it was a very big, like, again, just, um, change of pace for me. <laughs> right. And so sometimes that uh has been a struggle because I'll wake up and you know whether something's happened that makes me emotional or or throws me into sort of a downward spiral, it is very difficult to find ways that will get me out of that will get me out of that um mm. being being a parent, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you understand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you ever feel a distance between who you are as a parent and who you want to be as a parent and figuring out like how much of that is things you need to grow in and how much of that is personality and then how much of that is mental illness? I don't even know what the question here is, but like, how, how do you live? Yeah. How do you live with that distance? I guess, is that like a really shameful thing for you? Have you learned to just accept it and, 
grow where you can and realize limitations somewhere in between? I would say that honestly, and again, I'm going to, but I, I've been very fortunate to have people in my life throughout my whole experience of parenting. I have this like very tight group of friends who we've just journeyed through parenthood. We had kids at the same time. We're all incredibly different, like very different parenting styles, very different kids. So there's days when I'm comparing myself to people or feeling like I need to be a certain way. But I honestly, for anyone listening to this, one of my biggest encouragements for you, if you're a, if you're a parent of young kids is to like, find yourself a really good group of friends, if you can, like, who will encourage you and who you can, who will remind you that like, you're exactly the parent that God wanted for your child. And because it's very easy to get in your head, like I have this very specific memory, because again, structure is just structure and just being on top of things and everything is not like with my kids in particular I wouldn't even say that that is a factor in every part of my life but in terms of being a mom <laughs> like I have this I have this weird thing where my kids are never pre prepared for the weather like <laughs> never like I I will bring them to the park I'll get them so excited to come to the park and I mean, I guess we used to live in a, an apartment where they're like, it's hard to really tell what the weather is like when you live right. in an apartment. But there was one time in particular where I got my kids so excited. I got them all out the door to go because I think it was like a spring day and I thought it was really like hot outside and they were literally in shorts and a t-shirt because like we thought it was so warm. We, we went, we drove to like a spot that was far away because they really wanted to go out in a, to a spot, a park in particular. And it was just a very spontaneous, like, yeah, let's go, let's go to the pirate park <laughs> and got there. And they immediately just started like bawling because it was freezing outside. Right. It was like, it was so cold outside. And I remember just talking to my girlfriends and being like, this is so typical me. Like I was so hard on myself because that is just, I just am not, again, I, I, I do sometimes just act on like immediate emotion and don't think through very like the logistics that you would need to think through. But my, my friend was like, but just remember that like not every parent would just spontaneously like get out their door with their kids, you know, like, mm -hmm. like there's just different, there's just different strengths that we have and being in that community of girlfriends and other really good close girlfriends that I have has been honestly like life I think I've said a lot of things have been life-saving for me in this podcast but definitely having that community to just remind me like no there are positive things about all of like all of our personalities and weaknesses and we can all learn from each other because I have friends who are way more structured and are amazing at homeschooling and you know like they can right. do all that stuff but no matter how hard I try I would be awful at it <laughs> you know right but yep. then there's a lot of other things that I know that I'm good at too so yeah I think that that's always yeah that's always a, a struggle for sure is just to constantly be reminding myself that it's okay who I am and when it comes to mental health in particular like obviously there's just I, I always will think back to those times when I just couldn't do anything. Like Ruby was, I guess she would have been just over two and just having these feelings, like, obviously she's so young, but I have this like fear that, and I mean, even now my kids have seen me cry like many times, you know, and mm -hmm. feeling that shame of like, oh, like, I don't want them to always remember me as being like, sad or you know like or one or the other even you know mm -hmm. like being like really 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 happy or really really sad like I don't want them to remember me as being unstable you know like right and feeling yeah. shame about that and so yeah there's definitely that tension too for sure so does your mental illness make it hard to hold on to those truths that like maybe your friends would speak to you about like yeah you know you're you're not great at this, but you're really great at that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Especially when I'm having a, because I, I will typically have a day where I just feel like 
ev- I'm failing. I've failed at everything. Like everything in life has is failing, you know, and right. that I'm a failure in every mode and every area of life. And some days, those days, I just got to ride it out. Other days, I just need to like do very specific things that will help me to get out of that zone. But yes, for sure. Yeah. That, that is a struggle for sure. What have your kids taught you about God's character and who God is? Obviously just the innocence of like questions that they have. And just to remember that at the end of the day, it is very simple, <laughs> you know, like, cause I can very much overcomplicate everything. And yeah, that would be the biggest thing for sure. Just their, their questions are so innocent. And, and I think that God gives kids the ability to see his character without all the rationalizing. And, you know, like, I think that would be for sure. Yeah. The biggest one for me. So like simplicity in terms of how we relate to God, like that we don't need to throw all these other things on it or do you mean more simplicity of like the way God relates to us yeah I think just the simplicity of how God relates to us for sure like just the way that God again it's that thing of like they're not doing any of the things that I would have had on that checklist but I know and and I think obviously how I view them like knowing that God obviously sees them in even more of a loving way than I do, you know, and, mm. and all of their like specific ways that they've been made. But at the end of the day, it is just a very simple, like faith is not, I mean, I I, I don't know, I guess I struggle because at some point they are going to have to struggle with those little, those questions. But right now as kids, they definitely just, like, I can't even remember in particular, but Gordy just recently has had like, and Ruby's really getting to an age where she asks so many like harder questions, but Gordy like just asked, oh, what was it the other day? She was, oh, she was asking, she was asking how God, how we hear God, like, how do we hear God? And Gordy was like, oh, I, I, I actually have this answer. I have the answer. And he was like, God yells really loud to us. Like he just yells as loud as he can to us so that we can hear him. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that can happen sometimes, I guess too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I just love their curiosity. And I think that that's like a big thing too, because obviously as someone who has grown up in the church, I am experiencing all of these new things through them again, (laughs) like in an, in a novel way again, where mm. I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've made life, I've made it so complicated, but at the end of the day, let's talk through these very simple questions again and bring it back to the basics, you know, of, right. of, of who God is. My last question. And it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot since my sons were born. What do you want them to know about God, I guess, or like, what, what are the, what are the things that you most if they grow up and they say, I know God is like this, what do you want that to be? I don't know if this is theologically sound, but I just don't want them to feel like God expects them, expects anything of them. (laughs) Um, Or there are these crazy standards that he has for them. I think it, it just goes back to that concept of God just loves us as we are. And although we, we do try to grow and learn more about who, what his character is, and obviously want to have, you know, all of those qualities that we strive to have, like, you know, the fruit of the spirit and all that stuff. But I, I think I just, I want them to understand who God is in a very, very, like we were just talking about just very basic base level way of God loves us and, and teach them how to really just hear, hear him in their lives. If that, I'm not sure if any of this is making sense, but I do, I do just really want them to not, to just learn to be loved by God and, Mm -hmm. and to in turn, maybe that does call them to action in some way, or, or it motivates them to 
a certain direction in life, but I, I definitely just really want them to feel loved by God. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for your time. We have gone way beyond what I think I said we would. No, no, no. It's, it's me. I kept asking questions. So, but I really appreciate your, your time and you sharing about your story and your beautiful family and how that all relates. So yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. That's our show for today. Special thanks to Mark Calvitis for the podcast cover art. This podcast deals with some pretty serious topics. If you're struggling with your mental health or are thinking about suicide, please reach out to a trusted friend or some other person you know loves and cares for you. There are also professional supports available. Please go online and visit Crisis Services Canada to find the distress centers and crisis organizations nearest you, or call the Canada Suicide Prevention Service at 1-833-456-4566. They're available to talk 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you're under 29, the Kids Help Phone has professional counselors available to provide confidential and anonymous care. Call them toll-free at 1-800-668-6868 or text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 686868. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestion about today's or any other episode, please email podcastdarkly21 at gmail.com. If you appreciate and enjoy this podcast, please subscribe or give it a rating on whichever podcast app you use, since apparently that makes it more likely other people will find it. Finally, because it's always good to end with a blessing, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As always, thanks for listening.